Hello folks, this is Chopping It Up with CJ. I'm your host, Chris James, and this is Weekside Wednesdays, episode 11 in season two of the Chopping It Up with CJ podcast. And this is an interesting version of the show. I'm doing it on a Thursday, even though it's on a Wednesday. Keep up with me. Sometimes life moves a little quick and you have other things to take care of. But I'm glad I'm able to get a show out to you because I like talking to you all. Well, technically I'm talking to myself, but it goes out to folks and I'm glad that I get the opportunity to talk to you. And for those of you all who are either new to the show or just need a reminder as to why Weekside Wednesday is actually important, it is kind of the freestyle show. The setup for this one is different. It's less structured than the other shows. Um, just to give a rundown of the other shows so then you can understand why Weekside Wednesdays is set up like this. We'll start with Turf Talk Thursdays. That's where I go over every NFL contest. Um, I give an overview, keys to victory. Also, my final score prediction based off of what I know. Then I come back and at the time after my prediction, look at the line that's set for the game and also the over-under. From then, I give you a confidence score associated with said line. That'll be a confidence score of one or somewhere in the low digits, means I have very little to, to no confidence. Confidence score of uh, nine means I have a lot of confidence in that particular bet. Five is just you make the call. If I ever go zero, that means there's something serious going on with that game. I have no clue what's going on, whether it's a, a major injury, some sort of other issue that's greatly impacting it. Uh, that'll happen very few and far between, if ever. Uh, confidence score of 10, that's my lock of the week. It's basically I'm putting my own money down on that particular game. So that's me saying I'm willing to lose money on this. This is how much confidence I have in it. All right. And the confidence scores are set up. I'll give you that on Turf Talk Thursdays, a little bit more comparable on that. Fridays, Fantasy Football Fridays, something that's coming to an end now. It's just what it's about, fantasy football, all aspects. I usually give rankings out by position. I also give out Millionaire Moneymaker, like daily fantasy stuff, things like that. But like I said, we're in the playoffs in most uh, leagues, I think all leagues starting this week. So that's what that show's tied to. And then Make Good Monday, it's exactly what it says. I make good on what I said the prior week's Turf Talk Thursday. So, you know... Sometimes pundits, people, analysts, they talk about stuff and they are great at revisiting their successes, but I revisit all of it. I want to make sure that I did a good job for you because if I'm giving you advice of any sort, I'm only worth my salt if I'm able to actually be accurate on what I'm saying. And that's why Weekside Wednesdays are very important to me. It is more the freestyle, relaxed show. I get to talk about different topics around the NFL and also dive into a little bit of college football as well as I see fit depending on the show. So that's why I wanted to jump on this one and feel free to uh, follow me off of the podcast. You can do that on Twitter, which, you know, you can hit me up there and we'll give you all a little bit of an update on that. Taking a break from Twitter. Um, life is a very interesting game and I use the word game kind of facetiously. There's moments that make us sad. There's moments that make us happy. And you hope that you get more happy than sad. Um, Twitter brings me virtually no joy. Um, it is something that even really good people end up going negative on Twitter. Um, people that I care about, they go negative on Twitter. Other people who I don't know personally, but I care about their well-being, go negative on Twitter. And that seems to be what that app has been about for an extended period of time. And it seems to be getting worse. 
So I am indefinitely off Twitter. I'm just used to saying it in the show. That's my Twitter handle, but I am indefinitely off Twitter. Uh, You can still reach out to me there and eventually I will get to it. But I will let you know that if you reach out to me there right now, especially in the next several weeks, there's a 0% chance of me seeing that. Uh, And it could go on for longer. It might be an indefinite pause that lasts permanently just because I don't need negative in my life. I don't need to sit there and sulk in negative when there's way too much positive that exists with the knowledge that negative can hit you in the face at different points in time. So I'm not going to sit there and sulk in the negatives that are offered via Twitter because that does nothing positive for me. And I would encourage you as well to not sit there and sulk in the negative if you can. But I want to talk about some of these football topics. And actually, oddly enough, something that I saw on Twitter I want to start the show with. Okay, so there was an exchange between media members and a member of the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, Gio Bernard, and it was posted to a person's uh, Twitter page uh, and the video in the exchange. And I want to kind of go over all these aspects that come into play here because I made my own comment about it on Twitter. I stick to it. And it's basically without me opening Twitter, I will tell you what it was about. It's basically, you know, I care a lot about some people who work in this industry. Some I can legitimately say I love, some I like. Some, I just as a human being want them to do well. And they work in an industry or associated with an industry that is a virtual 24-hour cash cow. Uh, Sports media, 24 hours. So you look for content as much as possible. You're pushed to get content out as much as possible. You may be pushed to do things that are interesting. I dislike strongly how sports media is positioned now. Sports media is positioned in a manner that is so takey that there's little content that's actually there. And it's because sports media should not be 24 hours to cover a handful of sports. See, there's other sports that exist in the world. There's a lot of variations of these sports, but there's the major ones that we cover because they're cash cows. And also they do drive numbers. There's myriad uh, football leagues around this world. Other countries that play in what, like something absurd, like 40 different countries that have uh, some sort of semi-professional to professional football leagues, right? You'll never hear about them. And there's guys and women who have gone and played in these leagues that you might know personally and never knew they have ever played. There's multiple women's professional leagues that exist in this country. Um, but we focus on NBA, we focus on NFL in this particular case, focus on Major League Baseball, MLS to a lesser extent, NHL. So I'm really on the train that 24-hour coverage of sports is uh, too much. But let's go back to what happened in the exchange. Now, there are agreements between members of media and between sports leagues that they are there's availability for coverage. So the media members are granted and allowed to be in places that maybe they wouldn't readily be and that the athletes are supposed to be available to be talked to. Now, everyone knows the famous Marshawn Lynch, I'm just here so I don't get fined scenario. Um, Kind of funny, but same point in time. If you knew some of the questions that some people ask, and it's not most, it's just some, and it's a very small percentage, like, what's your preferred version of underwear, boxers, or briefs? What the hell does that have to do with any sport? 
But that's the type of questions that some of these guys face. But again, and women, I'm, I'm sure, but probably to a lesser degree. And I'm just thinking, because I've never seen it. But this that's the type of stuff that these guys do face. Just it's asinine questions, right? And again, that's few and far between. But this exchange with Gio Bernard was a microcosm of something that as a person who does, and yes, to a lesser extent, I do not work for ESPN or Fox or NBC or any of those. I work for a company that I very much respect and that I represent whenever I go out. So I try my hardest and damnedest to never be disrespectful because of the opportunities I've been afforded by football game plan. But with some of those credentials, there is an air of entitlement. Now, people get very upset when you say they're entitled. Entitlement is not just arrogance, but it is closely related to it, right? You feel that you're entitled to what you deem to be a reasonable response, right? Cool. You're entitled to get the opportunity to talk to players. That's what you're entitled to. But it seeps into an area and arena where players are no longer people. They are treated as entities to get a job done because you want to get your producer the best quality, right? And it may lend yourself to being outside of your general character. And trust me, as a person who has made multiple mistakes in my life that I don't believe are my constant character, they've put me, I've put myself in positions to be judged in not that fashion. So getting back to this particular exchange, the video showed uh, Giovanni Bernard having a very shocked look while media members were saying things like, well, you haven't been available, well, you were hurt, X, Y, Z, right? Nothing was said that was so out of pocket and so out of line that it's, you know, deemed awful, that it's deemed that these people should lose their credentials or anything like that. But there's a level of humanity that they just didn't really have set forth. And I watched, pardon the interruption, no, yeah, uh, no, Around the Horn, yes. I watched Around the Horn, watched Sarah Spain say something about to the to likes of basically, you know, we 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 were granted this access and we have this these contracts that say that we need to that the players need to say X Y Z basically. Okay. Here's what I'll say. Oh, and also that we are the disseminators of information. Basically, we we mold the stories that are put forth for people to consume the product. I'm gonna say this, and I mean this because I also do this job to a different extent. We are not important. When it comes to curating stories on normal content, meaning the game that occurred, we don't matter. That was important when things were in written media to a larger extent. When we didn't have as much video coverage, we didn't have YouTube and all these things that you could check out and watch a game secondarily. When you didn't have so much consumption of information that was offered, we were more important then. You know where we do have a level of importance? We have importance by curating relationships with people so that we can get quality stories that are more one-on-one -on -one in nature. When you can actually tell someone's story or have an interview where you're asking poignant questions to get them to show people more about themselves so they don't have canned responses. That's where we're important. We are not important in a scenario when a game's over and a person made a mistake that anyone who's ever played the sport knows that that was a mistake in communication. We all saw that. It was, you didn't have to play the sport to know that that was a communication error, right? I guess the thing that bothers me the most is 
I like to not be this guy. And what I mean by this guy is the, you had to play to get it. Because I don't think that's true. But what playing, I think, does is it humanizes and, and, and normalizes stuff that gives you a level of empathy because you've been there. When you've played, you know how it is after going to something emotional where you basically just had a car accident. And you're supposed to maintain emotional integrity post that in what is not an emo- is a, a completely emotional situation. So the people who I see do it the best usually play on some level, whether it's in the NFL, college, or sometimes even just high school. Because they've been through that and they felt it. And they come with a level of empathy that I don't see across the spectrum. The folks who didn't, they are probably excellent folks. In fact, one of my friends who was there and actually the poster of the video, I know she's an excellent person. I consider her a good friend. But much like what Sarah Spain did where she came to the defense of this person... It's because she's empathetic. She's been in those situations where there are athletes who are being extremely difficult or not willing to actually be available. The reason that I'm speaking out on this is because anyone who's come in contact with Gio Bernard knows that he's a freaking stand-up guy. You will not hear many, if any. I've never heard a negative word about that man. That man is willing to talk to people, extend conversations. He's not one of those people that uh, is an entitled athlete. So just put yourself in the situation to have a level of empathy for what he was going through. A clear mistake was made for a person who is nearing theoretically the end of his career compared to the start of his career, who's been out for injury and that mistake was made. Now, it wasn't even a mistake that cost them the game, by the way, to be candid if we want to get real about this. And I know none of those reporters who were there would do this. Go speak to the Hall of Famer who had four consecutive turnovers on four consecutive drives. Okay? And bring that same level of intensity to him. But I'm not even saying you need to. I'm just saying that makes more sense. As far as Gio Bernard is concerned, put yourself in that situation and be a little more empathetic. There's something that I was uh, given to read during executive leadership training, coaching that I went through and the thing that was given to me to read was just a leadership book and I can find it and give it to you but there was something I took away that I took away not just for my personal internal company performance but it helped me in life and it was something that I was doing and not in a negative way I wasn't doing it to be rude I wasn't doing it to be negative I was doing it because I was uneducated on how true leaders and true people were supposed to operate but it, it lends itself to the same situation. I'll just put it like this. The project is way less important than the people. And if you make the people more important than the project, not only does that project get done, but far greater and more frequently do projects get done in quicker fashion. And I started doing that in real life as well, not just at the office, because I used to work my tail off to get projects done. And sometimes I would step on people Unintentionally, not even realizing I was doing that because the project had to get done. And once I changed my mindset to people being more value than the project, projects, no issues. And guess what? More projects got done. 
So I would implore you, media members, in situations like this, I know you have deadlines. I know you have sound bites to get. I know that you have producers who are also trying to do their job. But if you put the people that you're covering over the project, trust me, because of the people that I work with that do this in this industry, you will get more content, you will get more conversations, and those players will actually reach out to you far more times and want to work with you. So just please, always consider the people over any of the projects. And that's the issue that I have with sports media. And I'm hoping that it gets fixed. And I'm hoping that we're part of the change. Not just the people who work there, but also fans. You don't need to know what the issue is with Gio Bernard that badly where that type of exchange had to happen. And again, no one there was awful or dehumanizing, but they didn't really respect his humanity in that moment. And you know why I know that these group speak things can happen. I've been in those scrums and I've seen that you can have one bad player can change a crowd from positive to negative much easier than one good player can change a crowd from negative to positive because they're so focused on getting the story. So just keep that in mind. And again, the reason that I know even though that exchange viscerally felt wrong, that it was just the pressure of getting that story is because I know someone personally who was in there and I know that she's a damn good woman but it didn't come off great in that moment and that's how easily it can change people are always more important than any project folks alright so I want to move on to another subject and it is the I'm proud of yous in the NFL so I have ties to certain players and I have ties to organizations, whether it's from a fandom level or just having worked with people who work in in those organizations. And there are some organizations that I'm proud of that I have no emotional tie to as far as like being a fan of that team. We all know, or at least if you're not aware, I'm a Saints fan. I'm a New Orleans boy. I'm born and raised there. It They get on my nerves so much, but I am still a season ticket holder. I am still a supporter and a fan and I will be for longer than I would like sometimes they get on my nerves they're like family family's not always going to do exactly the things that you expect them to do but you still love them but there are organizations where I feel good about them whether it's because I do have that tie or just in general I'm gonna start with one I've said it before and I was so happy I was sad two months ago when I did a show. I can't remember which show it was, but they were one and six. And I was sad because I know all the good things that were being done by this coach, his staff, people who work in the office there, scouting department. And it's the Detroit Lions. They were busting tail. And they were doing things the right way. And you could see they were right on the brink. They are literally the adage of at your biggest moment of failure, you don't realize that you're at the cusp of success. And some people give up, others forge forward, and they are successful. One in six, I was fearful that this guy, after coming off of a losing season and having the number two overall pick last year, was on the way to doing it again. And it's like, hopefully they can hold on. And that's the Detroit Lions, for those who don't know who I'm describing. 
I love what Dan Campbell was doing before they were winning games. You could see that those guys were putting in the effort every freaking week. And those guys on that staff, some of them who I do know, busting tail, getting things done. And, I mean, I'll be candid. I'm a black male. Love seeing black males get the opportunity when they earned it to be in positions of prominence because it feels like. And numbers do back what I'm saying. Those offers don't come as often, right? So, all throughout that organization, I love what's going on. I love that they're having success. And for those people who think this is just a fun story, understand this. I've listed the teams that I think are clearly better than them, and the list does not go far. In the NFC, there are only two teams that are legitimately better than them. The Eagles and the 49ers. And then I put them on the same level as two other organizations that are dangerous. The Cowboys and the Minnesota Vikings. You do not want to play Detroit because whether you want to say it or not, there is a mental game that plays into this and I think it helped Cincinnati last year. You see that they're the Lions and a small piece of your brain just immediately says, oh, not as important. Just for a a split second. And that's when they beat you. That's when they beat you. And they have the talent to do it. So I'm very proud. I'm happy to see the Lions. I'm hoping they make the playoffs because I want to see how they react. I want to see what goes on with them in the playoffs. I think they could be super interesting. They could be one of those. You want to put down a sneaky bet for a team to make the NFC Championship? That could be one of them. That sneaky bet to make the NFC Championship. Good goodness. All right. Another I'm proud of you team. The Jacksonville Jaguars. Last year, before the season, I said the Jaguars weren't going to be good. And the reason I said they weren't going to be good is because the leadership in place, the head of the snake wasn't a leader. He's not a leader of men. And there were people who were on networks who were very respected, intelligent people who I respect too, who said they're a sneaky play for the playoffs. And I said, they're a better and I'm on wax. They're a better option as a top five pick than to ever sniff the playoffs last year. That's what I said last year. And I stuck to it. Guess what? Number one overall damn pick. When they hired Doug Peterson this offseason, I'm on record saying I think they're going to be a good team, but they're a year away, and they made an A-plus hire. I thought they went seven seven games. I think seven and ten was the record I had for them, and I thought that was a really good record. And I said they are sneaky. They backdoor into the playoffs, and actually Emory Hunt was one of the few people who was kind of on board with me like, yo, you don't want to mess with Jacksonville. And now they're starting to realize it. Trevor Lawrence, I root for, even though some people think I don't. I don't root against Trevor Lawrence one bit. I root against some of the notions because some people go too far with certain people. But if I didn't think Trevor Lawrence was good, I wouldn't have had him rated as my number one quarterback in that draft. I wouldn't have him rated as my number four overall quarterback since I started believing in my model in 2016. Only behind... In order, number one, Deshaun Watson, number two, Joe Burrow, and number three, Patrick Mahomes. I believe in Trevor Lawrence, and I root for him or support him because I think he's a damn good person. Trevor Lawrence has the opportunity to rest on his laurels 
to use a level of entitlement that seems to be offered to him that he doesn't take. He's been, he's had smoke blown up his tailpipe since he was 14 years old. And there are a lot of guys out there that would take that, run that, and act like their crap don't stink. That young man does not do that. He has his faults in his game, and I've mentioned them. Some of them still rear their ugly head. But he's got a good coach who can help him with those, and he's already helped him with one. When he was coming out, Trevor Lawrence, when he got hit, his base would widen, and it would allow him to shift his weight incorrectly, and he would sail passes. I don't see him doing that much anymore. He's tightened that up. The other thing that he has, and he has to fix this, ball security when he takes off and runs. And it's something that I think can be fixed. But one step at a time. The other one was the bigger one because he's not going to always take off and run. And in fact, he might be in the open field because he's faster than some people might think. Again, sometimes things play against you that play for you. But him getting that base fixed, I've seen him sail way fewer passes after getting smoked in the face. So kudos to him. Kudos to them for taking the guy number one overall that they took when everyone told him that, well, I don't want to say hyperbolically everyone, but it felt like everyone. You have to take Aiden Hutchinson. Bad fit for that organization. Not that he's a bad player. And in fact, if he went number one overall to Detroit, I would say it was a great pick. For Jacksonville, they needed a versatile piece that they could move around because they already had their version of Aiden Hutchinson and Josh Allen. Trayvon Walker offers them that opportunity to become a very scary defense with a few more pieces. And shout out to the money they spent. People forget this. I might have been wrong on this because I was going a little too far because I was trying to prove a point. And I was like, Christian Kirk has Odell Beckham Jr. type upside. Now, he's not the same player. And people were missing my point. And I delivered a poor point when I said that. They don't play the same. What I meant was, get these dudes in space and they can do work. Odell was an X because of how freakishly large his hands are and the catch radius and all that stuff he does. Kirk was that killer slot, but was always treated like an X receiver instead of being utilized in the slot where he, he eats. Guess what? He eats now. Got a big contract. People are like, you deserve that. No. You know what he got? He didn't get upper echelon receiver money. He didn't get upper echelon X receiver money. He got upper echelon slot receiver money, and they're using him like that. You know who they're using like a Z receiver and an X? And I'm, I'm saying this off the top of my head because I can't remember if I'm right on this. Didn't Zay Jones um, set a record in college or something like that? Hold on, let me think. Because, okay, I had to pause the show for a second. So if it sounds inconsistent, I paused to look this up because I knew I knew something was wrong here in a good way. First off, people talk about Zay Jones like he's a doggone bum. Zay Jones was the second overall pick. I mean, it was the second round pick, 37th overall by Buffalo. It didn't work out there. But here's what I was referring to in college. Zay Jones' senior year at Eastern Carolina in 12 games had 158 receptions for 1,746 yards, which I believe is an FBS record. See, you all are acting like this dude's a bum just because he wasn't a, a key name. But there's other guys who've gone in the second round who y'all didn't realize were as good as they were. Debo Samuel was one of my favorite players coming out. He's my top-rated slot receiver. I comped him to a better version of Jarvis Landry. Zay Jones, who's coming out, was mad smooth. The problem with Zay Jones is he's not a 4-3 guy. He's about a 4-5-5-4-6 guy, which apparently is slow until you race against those dudes. And unless you're me, 
you're not beating those dudes. Common people who cover the sport and analyze it. Unless they played high level, they're not beating Zay Jones in a race, but they said Zay Jones wasn't worth the pick. See, they football people in that organization, once they made turnovers or turned the rosters over, <clears throat> understood the talent. They brought in Christian Kirk to play slot receiver and be dominant. And yes, Dominant might be going a little far from what he's done this year, but he's been damn good. Zay Jones has been dominated the last couple of weeks, though. And again, people were like, but that's Zay Jones. Don't listen to those people. Either they're a fantasy analyst and for their profession, which I do also, they're correct. It's just, it's just Zay Jones. He has no track record. But for those who actually watched college football, that dude was smooth in his transitions. Ran hella good routes. Again, just wasn't a burner. That's it. But Zay Jones is a hell of a football player. Marvin Jones Jr. He's closer to the end of being that type of receiver, a starting receiver, than he is the beginning, but still effective. And if he's your third option, your team is eating. This is another team that, honestly, I'm looking through and I'm thinking about this. Think about the teams and where they sit as far as their records. Jacksonville's probably going to win this division. Okay. Based on how the schedules are set, the teams that will make the playoffs, the Ravens will probably end up with the sixth seed. The seventh seed will be a battle between what will probably end up being won by either the Dolphins or the Jets. One of those teams, right? But you want to know the sneaky team? And I want to see this matchup so badly. I want to see the four seed Jacksonville Jaguars play against the five seed Los Angeles Chargers. Because we already saw that game. And at no point in time did it go well for the Chargers. Jacksonville's a scary unit. And then you know what else I want to see? I want to see them play against Buffalo. Because I think that'll be a good matchup. Weather might not make it good for Jacksonville. But it'll be a good learning experience for both teams. I'm rooting for Jacksonville in a lot of ways. Again, I like when organizations make good decisions. Started with good leadership. Draft good players who you know are going to be there and be worth it. Don't listen to everyone's commentary on you made a mistake, this, that, or the other. If you get the coach right, if you get the people picking the talent right, talent's going to come. And as far as getting the quarterback right, people picking the talent, they know, they know. You can get. You don't have to get a quarterback in the first couple of rounds or the first round, I should say, like everyone tells you. The numbers are skewed based on public perception. And by public perception, I mean the entire draft complex. See, quarterbacks go early because people are thirsty. There's some quarterbacks who shouldn't touch the first round, but they go in the first round. If we normalized actually selecting players where they're supposed to go, it would look a lot like this past draft. Now, Kenny Pickett went in the first round, and I didn't agree with it personally, but I understood why Pittsburgh did what they did. None of these quarterbacks should have gone in the first round if they were going off of the tape they saw. None of them were worth the first round pick. The only one that had the talent to match up with the first round was Malik Willis, but his tape wasn't clean. And it wasn't clean because Malik Willis wasn't asked to play certain styles of, of football. He was asked to go out and be the damn best athlete out there, the damn best football player out there, and that's what he went and did. But if you saw his arm talent, better than anyone else in his draft. If you saw his legs, better than anyone else in his draft. And if you talk to him, he's a heady kid. 
People like to question people's intelligence until they realize. Intelligence comes in all sorts of forms, fashions, and if you actually talk to people, you'll realize it. So all I'm getting to is this. I'm glad that Jacksonville played the game the right way, and I'm looking forward to their success. So they're my second proudiest. My third proudiest is from the same division, but with a different feel. They're not winning games. But I feel like they're winning games when necessary. And that's the Houston Texans. I already went over it on Make Good Mondays as far as how they've done against the spread. Which is kind of a better facsimile for how much talent. The games you should win based on the talent you have. Right? And I believe they're 6-7-1 against the spread. Proud of you is because... Lovey Smith, I am proud of you. And I'm hoping that you really get a chance because... Lovey Smith isn't trying to put so much on Davis Mills' plate that it's making Davis Mills struggle. And people are like, oh, he's not giving him a fair chance, blah, blah, blah. There's certain things that Davis Mills can do and he can't do. And as the quarterback that can actually throw the best completable passes, Davis Mills is in on those plays. They're also using Jeff Driscoll sprinkled in. It's almost like they're using a college setup based on the fact that they have a lower level of talent. They're trying to just be in games and hopefully win some of these these games that they're in late. And I'm proud of them. Because some teams are so willing to go down and almost intentionally tank and do all this stuff. They are trying their damnedest to win games. That coaching staff wants to keep their job. Those players that are busting their tail want to keep their jobs. And fans, I know you want to get a better draft pick, but realize, man, y'all are thinking about this wrong. You don't want a team that gives up. You don't want to get the number one overall pick just to get it. The journey is part of it. If you end up with the number one overall pick, but you were busting tail, kind of like Detroit when they ended up with the number two overall pick, but you could see that they were right there last year. That goes so much further. I'd rather the Texans doing everything they're doing right now, still get the number one overall pick. In that case for me, I'm taking Bryce Young. But they're building a culture. And then guess what? I've said it before and I'll say it again. To me, Davis Mills was a spot starter slash backup. If you have a dude who started games in the NFL as your backup quarterback and he's young, you're cooking with grease there. And he could have a phenomenal job for the next decade. And then he's extremely intelligent. So he can go on and do whatever he wants to after that 10-year career as a backup, which is not a bad job. Not an insult. Dude's in the NFL means he's pretty damn good at football. But then they also have a culture and they'll have continuity. I'm hoping the Texans don't fall by the ways. They don't fall into this whole thing of, well, we got to go get better. Again, unless there's better, you better have a Sean Payton sitting out there to replace Levy Smith with. Because if you just go get one of these super boy geniuses that team's been doing, you have a higher chance of failure than you do for success. You just look at the Chargers. I have nothing personal against Brandon Staley. And he's probably going to make the playoffs. And hopefully for him, he wins a playoff game or two. But that man has had a team that's been so talented for multiple years. And they haven't done much. Now, if you get that much leeway and time, cool. But if you look at Lovey Smith, a dude with a Super Bowl appearance on his resume, he better get that much time too. Or at least close to it. Because that team is outperforming the other team based on the talent that sits there. Go look at the against the spreads. The Texans are one of the better teams against the spread. 
They're like 10th, I think, in the NFL for their record against the spread versus, uh, you know, basically what was supposed to happen. So 6-7-1 and one is pretty damn good when you have that level of talent. And my last team with the uh, Proud Years Award, and I've already heaped some praise on this coach and this quarterback I've been back and forth on, but mainly I've been trying to set the table for him as far as who he is as a quarterback. And that's the Giants, Brian Dable and Daniel Jones. The Giants continue to lose players left and right. And yes, they have one of the best players at his position in the NFL on the offense in Saquon Barkley. And yes, they have a young and emerging offensive line when healthy there. And yes, they have D tackles that are getting the job done in Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams when he is healthy. And they got a lot of players around. But here's the real big thing. I like that Brian Dable seems like a dude who, I mean, I could be real lame here and say that's stable, but I like that Brian Dable has instilled belief into these people. You go look at how injured that roster has been, and all he's done is has them believing, flip things up. Saquon wasn't playing to Saquon's level because he was still injured. Sorry, Saquon, we're good to go. We know you'll get back. That man, Saquon, was murdering people on the field last week. Good goodness. The spin button was in full effect. You don't get to that level without having someone that you can believe in. That's your manager, your coach, leadership. And Daniel Jones, good for you. Daniel Jones, for me, is a good case study in if you appropriately understand who someone is and not ask them to be outside of that, cool. And I'm hoping that the Giants as an organization are smart enough to treat Daniel Jones in the right manner. Hell yeah, franchise tag Daniel Daniel Jones. Or, I don't know how the transition tag works. I know of it. I need to figure out the ins and outs of it. That might be a better option for you. And if he plays well enough again, get that man some doggone money. Not not the Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson money. Like $50 million a year. But half of that, if he plays well for two damn years, after playing pretty damn bad for three years, man, get that man his money. He's earned $25 million a year at that point. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. That middle class of quarterback, which is nothing wrong with. You can win games with a middle class quarterback. What it also allows you to do is build that roster up so you can be competitive. And the Giants are probably going to make the playoffs now. I thought that the Commanders were going to overtake them. You know? Good stuff. And oh, by the way, forgot to mention, my number one overall player, by the way, he was tied with Derek Stingley, who has not had a great season this year, but I feel like he's misused and also was still not there physically yet. So expect him to bust out next year, especially when they start using him how he needs to be using a lockdown corner capacity. Anyway, him on Thibodeau. Weird. People talk about his motor, this, that, or the other, all this stuff. I made this com- comment in the group, and I meant it. His attitude reminds me of a guy like Eric Dickerson, someone who's got a lot to say, got a lot of thoughts that don't just exist in this particular sport. And that rubs people the wrong way because they're like, oh, well, this isn't just, the game isn't just all that he's about. And to another extent, but not on the same path, but like Ricky Williams was. Dudes who think about other stuff. And he's so good at that, that maybe people thought, well, football isn't his life. It's not his life, but it's what he does really excellently. He's going to bust his tail to do it excellently. He's coming on now. He's becoming a problem. 
he was the opener for that game. Saquon was that middle reliever. And then they both were closers in that game. So I'm proud of you, Giants. I like what you're doing, Brian Dable. Wink, you got the defense flying around. And those talented players just keep building. And Daniel Jones, good for you, man. I'm dead serious. Always seem like a likable, good dude. I've never heard anything negative about you whatsoever. Only positives. And I know people who cover the Jets and Giants up there. And it's a market. It's a tough one. And they say that that dude's always built with class. So, yeah, I'll root for a dude like him. I just needed him to be valued for his on-field play correctly. And the Giants are doing it. They're putting him in a position to be successful. And I'll root for someone busting their tail to be successful and being utilized the correct way. All right. So college conversations. All right. Well, getting down to it. And I want to talk about bowl games because they're interesting. And there's this whole thing. It's becoming more normal. But there's still some people who think that players, when they opt out of bowl games, are letting their university down. I think they're doing their university a service. Like, I don't even think it's like a a wash where some people are finally gotten to, well, you know, I mean, it's their chance. It's their choice. You are utilizing what has been offered to you via your university to make the best possible decision for you. And if you do it in the right way, which is saying immediately or as soon as possible, I'm not going to participate. I want to go do this. You're offering a chance for the university, the fan base, and other players on that team to get the chance to be in a spot. They get the moment. There's only one player that came to mind, and I really don't know, and I'm not trying to say this, but it's just something that didn't feel right about this. I don't think this dude did this on purpose. But do you remember Jabril Peppers when they played against Florida State? I think it was the Orange Bowl. And there was some Willie Wonie leading up to it, a little bit of that conversation, but it didn't come from him. It was just, oh, you know, Jamil Peppers, Willie Wonie. And then he got an injury right before the game. That one felt weird. It just felt weird. And it might have been because of other people. Too many people having conversations around him that had nothing to do with him. And I'm not claiming that he did that on purpose. I'm not saying he pulled out or anything like that. I have no knowledge of that. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is, if he had some thought process in his mind that he didn't want to play, but he was trying to hold up for his team, and part of it was because he felt a little injured, this, that, and the other, and then he couldn't go, well, that team's set back now. And he's set back now. And nothing feels good about that. Because I believe in that same game, his teammate, Jake Butt, Got a major injury. I think he tore his ACL in that game. Just like when Jalen Smith messed his knee up. Linebacker from Notre Dame. All I'm saying is these things. The students that go to those schools, I expect them less so to feel this way because I remember being 19, 20, hell, 17 when I first got on a college campus. The intensity, they're your classmates, your friends, whatever. And they opt out. 
And if you feel like they're letting you down, okay, you're supposed to, you're, you're in that environment. You're young, still dealing with the emotions of becoming an adult. If you're like 40, like I'm 41. Like Mike Gundy said, I'm a grown man. Do not be upset that this 20 or 21 year old made a decision to make their life and the lives of their family better when they gave you everything that they had for whether it was even one year, but in a lot of instances, three years or even four. And they just decided that this is the best chance for me to be successful. You should appreciate what they gave you because your team is hopefully there in whatever bowl game it is because this guy busted tail. And again, given the person behind him who might end up being the, I mean, we all know who the the most famous backup is of all time. Couldn't get on the field until he busted tail in that last year. He was a redshirt senior after almost transferring out of his school. And he was the Orange Bowl MVP with four touchdown passes, three of which to David Terrell. I still remember watching that game and going, and some of y'all might get offended by this, but I said, damn, that's, wet. that's a badass white boy. That's how we talked back then. But yeah, that was Tom Brady, right? Granted, he didn't show up in that bowl game as someone new, but sometimes backups get an opportunity to show themselves. It goes well. And this bowl game might be that redshirt sophomore who thought about transferring and it's much easier now to do so. And he stuck around and then they have an excellent bowl game and enter next season with confidence like a champ. I'm, I'm all over the place because again, there's no script for this particular show, by the way, folks. Sometimes I have a script, sometimes I don't. There's none for this show. I remember the moment that I realized how good this dude was going to be as far as his toughness factor. And then the next year, looked like a different dude. LSU versus UCF. And Joseph Burrow threw a pick six. And he's trying to run a dude down and he got smoked. That dude popped up, moved his jaw around. I think in that moment, much like I felt, his teammates teammate said, that's a badass white boy. All right. Oh, we got this one. We got a real one. This dude don't care about nothing. And all he did was go out and set a national record for touchdowns the next year. 60 and 6. I think 65 total touchdowns. And yes, it got broken by Zappy. But I don't care. Joe Burrow in that moment showed up and showed out in that bowl game. And granted, he was a starter. All I'm trying to get across to you is these new dudes who are going to be on the team the next year, most likely, they get that opportunity to show who and what they are. And you get someone new to cheer for. But support the guys that are going out the door because they went out there and busted tail to make sure y'all had something to be proud of. All right, folks, that's going to be the end of this show. I'm wrapping this one up. I'm still going to do a Turk Talk Thursday later. But I wanted to get some stuff on wax here. The overall thing that I just want y'all to take away from this show is something that, again, I've been taking away for at least the last two years. 
Now, the pandemic really helped me with this, but it was something that I was learning throughout it. Uh, whether it's focusing on the folks, or putting people in front of projects, however you want to put it. Offer grace to someone else. Be empathetic. And I swear to you, things will go better in the long run than not. This is Chris James signing off for the Chopped Up with CJ podcast. Week Side Wednesdays, episode 11 of season two of the Chopped Up with CJ podcast. Take care. Enjoy your week. I'm going to go with the things I want to say. Merry Christmas. Yes, I believe in happy holidays too. I have friends who celebrate Hanukkah. I don't really know many people who celebrate Kwanzaa, but whatever you celebrate, appreciate those folks around you. Enjoy this holiday season and love one another. Take care. Bye-bye.